Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. All right, here we go on a Tuesday, Cofield and Company. We uh, wrap up a national title game from last night. Georgia, national champions for the second straight year. Lots to get into in the National Football League. Uh, Raiders and Miles Simmons will be in with us in just a little bit from Pro Football Talk. And we'll actually talk to the guy who is uh, eventually going to be the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tony Khan, son of Shad Khan. He'll be up in about... 15 minutes, also a big character in the wrestling world with AEW, and they've got an event going on right down the road in Los Angeles. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So a very interesting uh, Chris Canty show uh, that led into what we're doing today is they had Don Van Nata Jr. on, and... These are incredibly complicated situations, and the situation is DeMar Hamlin and Monday Night Football and the guy going into cardiac arrest, having to be revived on the field, players all over the place seeing that, and then it was decision time. How do we manage this whole thing? And Don Vanetta Jr. for ESPN.com just wrote a really good piece that came out last night. He was just on air about 30 minutes ago. Uh, He tagged it, my latest for ESPN, how the Bills and Bengals not Roger Goodell, not Troy Vincent, led the way after DeMar Hamlin collapsed. DVN says a uh, top team source told him the Lord himself could come down and we were not going to play again. And the reason the story is super interesting, you know, aside from the fact that we saw something tragic happen on the field, something that we rarely see in the world of sports, is the confusion on making a decision on whether to keep playing after a guy had you know, basically a heart attack on the field and had to be revived to life, and how complicated that whole process is. Because you got people on the ground, you've got people upstairs at the stadium, you got people in New York. It's not easy, so I'm not going to sit here and, and minimize the difficulty of making a decision, a game as, as big as that one, as Skip Bayless said. You know, it all becomes kind of irrelevant once you find out what really happened to Hamlin. But at the moment, it's like, my God, we're going to cancel a Monday Night Football game with repercussions that include potentially the number one seed and playoff seedings in general. We're going to do that. A massive game here. The problem that's arisen now is, as Venata said, uh, who led the way on this? It was the coaches. The league was ready to continue playing. And the bigger picture there is a league that has been challenged repeatedly for seemingly not caring about the health and welfare of its players was ready to move on. So that part of it is obviously massive. The other part of it is why did the NFL go on a campaign of misinformation? Why double down? Like Joe Buck said repeatedly, hey, we're going to start again in five minutes. Why double down on that? Put ESPN in a corner. Try to make Joe Buck look like a jackass. Troy Vincent came out and said, we never thought of that. So now you're pitting yourself against one of your TV partners. And 
While I know a lot of you jabronis out there are like, ESPN, who watches that? Y'all watched that night, didn't you? And there's a reason we exist, and more importantly, ESPN exists. Not only to cover sports, but to operate as a check and balance when things aren't right. You know, sports aren't all fun and games. Something serious like this happens, and a league is willing to put more players in jeopardy, frankly, if they had made those guys play. That's a dangerous situation mentally for them. It's kind of crazy. I don't understand the, hey, the five-minute thing you're getting blown up on, just come out and be honest and just say, hey, it was very confusing. The flow of information wasn't great. You know, at first we didn't realize how serious it was. We get it now, right? And that could have been done the next day. Instead, the NFL comes out with one of its representatives and says, you know, no way we were going to do that. You were. And my point on ESPN and whether you watch or not and why we're here in the media, it's for situations like this, right? Players and fans need to know what the league thinks of the players and fans because they also think you're stupid. I mean, we kind of we knew what was happening there. And then for Goodell to sort of take credit for it or Corey Vincent to say, hey, five minutes, you know, five-minute break after the guy was, you know, taken away and, by the way, had to be revived again to life once he got to the hospital. Um, I just, I don't understand this league sometimes. And But the same thing keeps happening. Just an assumption that we're stupid. And even worse, you took one of your TV partners, boxed them in. You don't think they're going to come out swinging and actually do some investiga- uh, investigative pieces on this. And now they've done it. People are willing to talk. You, you don't think the Bills and Bengals from the brass on down aren't willing to say, hey, the league was acting like a jackass in this case. And they've spilled the beans to Don Van Atta Jr. All right. So growing up time, right? Georgia wins last night. They win in a blowout. It was 65-7. to Now, I was just praising the role of the media. Today, uh, today, a lot of the sports talk shows are, frankly, embarrassing themselves. I think it's pretty clear, and we've pointed it out, that while the NFL gets heavy, heavy coverage, and there's some good nuanced analysis, when the national media jumps in on the college football Final Four and the final, the NCAA tournament, and especially the NCAA Final Four for basketball and the title game, you see how little people watch all season because they just go to the same old narratives. The stuff I heard on multiple shows today and what I saw up on social media, can we talk about football like adults, like we've actually been around the sport, like we understand that it's human beings playing football? Georgia is awesome. Was Georgia way ahead of the rest of the country this year? No. And we saw that in the semifinals. There were teams that could hang with Georgia. It's a really good football team led by a, as I'll build the case later on, a transcendent. It's odd to look at him. His story is weird, but Stetson Bennett is an all-time great college player. He led a very talented group that did differ from year to year to -to back-to-back national titles and did it the second time around by blowing a frankly, unprepared and poorly coached TCU team off of the field. But if your narrative coming out of that is, SEC, yeah! Okay. 
let's calm down, or those two teams didn't belong on the same field. Last night, they didn't. Last night, they didn't. Or, we don't need a 12-team tournament. Look what happens. There's only three good programs in the country. Will you please stop? We just watched one of the best college football seasons in recent memory. The you know greatest team of the last 25 years. I mean, look at the preseason prognostications. Who's going to beat Alabama? Two teams did, and multiple teams almost did. They're kids. It's human beings. And last night, TCU came out. The game went the wrong way for them. And they fell apart. You know when that happens in sports? All the freaking time. And it happens with the adults, too. That's why we watch. That result would not be 65-7 every time in 100 meetings. And I will guarantee you, TCU could beat them in, I don't know, 15 or 20% of the meetings. I know it's shocking after what you saw last night. There's not a wide gap in talent. When you, when you see guys streaking wide open all over the field, that's not a talent gap. That's coaching and scheme and confidence. And the 3-3-5 by TCU sucked last night. And they needed to make adjustments. They didn't. There wasn't any sort of eye candy to confuse the offense in Stetson Bennett. None at all. And they rolled. Momentum got going the wrong way, and TCU fell apart. It happens. But I'll tell you, the most disappointing part of listening to analysis at what is supposed to be the highest level is from the former players. You played the game. I'm sure you guys, NFL and former college football players, were on the field at times when they lost to someone and they got their ass kicked and they got home, and then they watched the film and they were like, boy, that was on us, or that was maybe a scheme problem. Like, we don't believe we're 58 points worse than that team. You played the game. For former players out there in the media, stop just coming in and going 65-7. George is great. Big 12 sucks. KCU is awful. College football system is terrible. Like, what, what is this? Everyone's been blown out. It happens. It happens in the NFL. Look at this weekend. All, all day long, we're going to talk about, not all day, all week long. One of the games will break down are Chargers and the Jaguars. Later on, we're going to. Uh, hunt down Sean Merriman, who played for the Chargers. You know what happened to the Chargers and the Jaguars first time around? Chargers freaking laid down. They played a terrible game, and it got worse as it went along. Well, I guess Jags should be favored by 14, right? Why not? They don't belong in the same field. They killed them in the NFL. So throughout the show, when we talk about this game, let's show a little nuance, and I will stick to my guns. College football is more balanced than ever. We're in a cycle right now with two power programs, Alabama and Georgia, Alabama's got a 70-year-old coach who will go bye-bye in a couple of years. Georgia can be a powerhouse. I can't believe Kirby Smart's younger than me, man. Uh, But he's only in his late 40s. They've got a juggernaut. But so much of the sport is reliant on who your quarterback is. And from year to year, I thought Clemson, I I was told three years ago, Clemson was overtaking Alabama. Hey, DJ, you didn't work out. So much of this is about quarterbacks, and we'll see what Georgia has a quarterback next year. And the kid back in mop-up time looked okay. Okay. Doesn't mean they're guaranteed next year. We'll hit on the odds for the title game next year with Sam Paniotovich. So let's start to talk a little bit about the Jags and the Chargers. We'll bring in uh, Tony Khan, who runs the AED, uh, AED, AE, uh, AEW, uh, relatively new wrestling association, son of Shad Khan, uh, part of the Jaguars organization. 
today after unnecessary roughness. It's the Kevin Kruger Radio Show at 5 p.m. on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, fired up to talk a little wrestling, a little uh, football. Actually, two kinds of football with Tony Khan. Uh, he is with Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Steve. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, let's get into a little wrestling because you are the CEO of AEW Wrestling, and this thing is growing uh, by leaps and bounds. And I know you have two shows a week. You got a big deal going down in L.A. tomorrow, right? Yeah, huge event tomorrow in Los Angeles. It's on TBS. Uh, you could watch it live on the East Coast feed at 5 p.m. Pacific, but I think a lot of people would watch it on TBS West uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific. It's going to be a great show. Of course, AEW, we launched our promotion. Our first event was in Las Vegas. We started at the MGM Grand, and it was double or nothing Memorial Day weekend, and that's become a great tradition at, out in Las Vegas. We'll be back again and again and again we'll be doing double or nothing this year in las vegas and hopefully every year going forward and uh las vegas is such a huge part of AEW, and that's why it's great to be able to uh not only uh you know stay in touch between shows but then we have uh this huge event coming up and these great tv events i think tomorrow's show at the la forum is going to be one of the best we've ever done and i'm really excited about it yeah historic venue in la and for vegas folks uh, just thirty bucks, a uh, little bit of fees there, but thirty bucks plus to get in the door. So go check it out, AEW Dynamite. That's uh, Wednesdays, and of course the uh, Fridays are part of it as well, as it's a uh, Dynamite and Rampage show. So I'm I'm glad you you mentioned Vegas because we're all about glitz and glamour. And I got to tell you, I know you're uh, you going out and getting some veteran guys, but you are developing guys. Um, I was just watching a clip of MJF. My lord, you've got a handful here as management. What a freaking talent this guy is, especially on the mic. He's incredible. He's so charismatic. He's such a great talker, but he's also a great wrestler. He's um, one of the most exciting, one of the most interesting wrestlers on the planet. And now he's the AEW World Champion, and you'll see him every Wednesday night, just like tomorrow night on TBS. Um, he's not a nice guy at all. He's not a nice guy in <laughs> real life. Nice. He's not nice <laughs> and, to you. Uh, he's not nice that, to you. He's ripping on the owner. What's going on here? Oh, I mean, he's uh, really a pretty hostile guy. But <laughs> frankly, uh, in it, what it comes down to is, you know, I think he uh, is, at the end of the day, uh, a great wrestler, and he represents AEW now as a champion, but we have a great roster up and down the card. Some of the biggest names in all of wrestling, top names like Chris Jericho, Sting, the Hardys, so many great wrestlers in AEW. Of course, Samoa Joe, uh, the great TNT champion, was just dethroned last week by Darby Allen in Darby's hometown Seattle in a classic main event. Uh, so many exciting things happening in AEW and tomorrow night on TBS. Uh, a former Las Vegas resident, somebody who lived there for a long time, John Moxley. Of course, John and his wife Renee, longtime Vegas residents. Uh, he's recently ba- gone back to his hometown, Cincinnati. Uh, you know, what an amazing story, John Moxley, in 2022. And now, and another amazing story, Hangman Page returning to the ring looking for payback. Hangman Page got knocked out cold. It's completely real. One of the scariest situations I've ever been involved in. Uh, we had to cut the ropes off, 
and take Hangman Page to the hospital, and he hasn't wrestled in several months, and he's making his comeback to the ring, and he's looking for payback against John Moxley tomorrow night on TBS. Uh, it's going to be a great event, Wednesday Night Dynamite at the Forum, and I, I'm excited about it. Tony Khan is with us. Right here on ESPN Las Vegas, you mentioned a lot of the big names you've lured, especially veterans. Uh, do you have your eye on someone? I know you're a big wrestling fan over the years. Do you have your eye on someone? Is there someone you'd love to land in the future, a big name? Well, I, you know, certainly uh, if, if I did have a surprise like that up my sleeve, I probably yeah, I would try me. to keep it under my hat, honestly, Steve. Yeah. But, um, so I, I can't say, but I do scout the world of wrestling very closely and I'm always looking to be an active player in the free agent market in pro wrestling with, with AEW uh, being the home of a lot of the great stars. And the free agent market we've helped create in pro wrestling, really a lot of the going back and forth, between promotions wasn't there until AEW launched a few years ago. Tony, you also, along with AEW, the CEO of AEW, Tony Khan is on with us. Uh, you know, you're part of running the Jaguars. Uh, you're also part of running the uh, Fulham squad in the uh, Premier League. Uh, truly, what is what is your favorite gig, and can you keep doing all three of these? Well, it's, it's tremendous, and I really love what I'm doing. And right now, everything's going so well. We have such a strong uh, fan base with AEW, but right now... It's exciting times. I think really it's in the over a decade my father's owned the Jaguars and, and almost as long that he's owned Fulham Football Club. This has been the most exciting period for both clubs. And I think what's happening right now, it's something that the fans of Fulham, the fans of the Jaguars, uh, you know, they know how special this is and those fan bases deserve what's happening. We have great coaching at both teams you know we have a great football coach at Fulham in Marco Silva we have a great football coach at the Jaguars in Doug Peterson and uh, I think for me personally I've never enjoyed it more doing all three with AEW having pro wrestling every week on Wednesday night on TBS like tomorrow night and Friday nights on TNT and having football on the weekends it's never been better and I've never enjoyed it more than right now. Tony Khan was with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. Our hockey owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, Bill Foley, just brought into the uh, Premier League. What advice would you give an American sports owner about how the uh, the soccer uh, in the UK is a little bit different in terms of ownership, or is it the same? Well, it's it is different. Uh, it's very different, and I think the biggest difference is, of course, there's relegation in English football. It's very different uh, than in American sports. There's nothing like that where teams come up from a second or third division and you go up and down the leagues and to see you know things like that i think uh, a lot of american sports fans don't really know the concept of relegation aren't familiar with it but i think it makes sports very different and it's it's very competitive and it's really creates a whole other level of competition several levels of competition in fact what's the vibe like right now in uh, duval in jags country and uh, what do you think your chances to take out the chargers well i'm really excited steve it's a great vibe we have a great group of players and an amazing coach with Doug Peterson who's built a great coaching staff here and the you know amazing fans I think the most loyal fans in the NFL and they deserve this I was so happy they had such a great night on Saturday night and hopefully it'll be another great Saturday night in Jacksonville this weekend so uh just really looking forward to it. AEW Dynamite Wednesdays, 8 o'clock Pacific. That's on TBS. Fridays, Rampage, 10 o'clock on TNT. And the live show is going down tomorrow at the Forum. Tickets start at just 30 bucks to get into the Forum to watch AEW. We'll close on this one. Um, 
I, I think George Kittle would like to be a wrestler down the road, the Niners tight end, and you know he's really good on the mic. Is there a guy you've come across on your Jaguars team who could be a wrestler in the future, could do it you know, size-wise, athletically, and on the mic? Oh, it's a great question. Well, Josh Allen has been to some of the events. He's a big mm. wrestling fan. I actually introduced Josh Allen to Shaq. Uh, when Shaq was wrestling in AEW in Jacksonville. So uh, there's a number of uh, people on the Jaguars that I think would be great pro wrestlers. We actually had a number of the football players uh, do a promotional shoot for London with the AEW wrestlers because AEW's gotten so popular in England, and we did a promotional shoot for our English TV partner, ITV, with a lot of the players ahead of Wembley. So we had a great photo shoot with Trevor Lawrence and Claudio Castagnoli, the twin towers of wrestling and football. Um, and that was pretty cool to see uh, the world of the Jaguars and the Blackpool Combat Club of AEW colliding, uh, certainly. But I think uh, Josh Allen is somebody, like I said, that's been a fan. Andre Sisko uh, had a great uh, interaction with some of the wrestlers. I think Andre Sisko went to the same high school as Hook actually, of AEW. Um, so a lot of uh, Jags players that would would make great wrestlers, too, I think. Cody, appreciate it. Fun times right now, and enjoy the show in L.A., and thanks for coming on in Vegas. Hey, thanks for having me on, Steve. Great to catch up with you, man. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. We played our game tonight, and it showed, you know, we haven't played perfect all year. We had airs and flows throughout our season, but tonight was our perfect game. That was our connection game. We was cheering for everybody, and we was just playing for more than ourselves. We was playing for the G, and I just love all these guys, man. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, rolling on here on a Tuesday. National Championship is in. Georgia wins for a second straight year. One of their star linebackers, who did not play, uh, but will be a high draft pick, Nolan Smith, just talking about the uh, magic of the season. We have a lot to break down in terms of the world of college football, what next year looks like. We'll talk to Sam Paniotovich in about an hour from Nesson, from Fox Sports, about the futures that are up already for college football. And uh, I will again make the claim that college football is Super balanced in spite of what people see with a one-off game like last night. Um, Kirby Smart's a really good coach. Because he really did have these guys believing after winning a national championship that with a bunch of guys off to the NFL that, hey, it's us against the world. And a lot of people mocked on Nolan Smith, the the kid, when he said this. He was also fed a question that was kind of leading. I want you to listen to this. This was a perfect season and a team that was doubted in the beginning of the year. Was this an exclamation mark on such a special year? That's all I got to say. They thought we was going to go seven and five. We end up perfect. I could talk trash now because I'm done. I'm a dog for life and I will always be a dog. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. A lot of doubters. Is that what you said at the beginning? Yeah, a lot of people who doubted. A lot of people who doubted you. Very few doubted Georgia would be at least a top 10 team. Now, they were not the favorite to win 
the SEC, but that doesn't mean in this system that they can't be the second SEC team in. Alabama was a pretty sizable favorite. I think it was like plus 225 for Georgia, minus 175 for Alabama going into the season. But like lots of doubters, not really the story. No, they were the third choice on the board to win the national championship Yeah, at the beginning of the year, right? And trust me, I remember the conversations. All the conversations were, hey, it's Alabama and Ohio State, and then there's Georgia, and then there's everybody else. And so, like, I guess if you're phrasing that as, like, doubt, mm-hmm. then sure, there were doubters. So the question is questionable. That's that's a pretty high bar to live up to. Right. That there's doubters that you can't win the national championship every year. Right. So what, what a life. What an existence, <laughs> right, right. right? There's People are doubting you're the best team <laughs> in the country. Like We might flop to number seven. Right. Um, the follow-up, that's where you need to like, or the answer from Nolan Smith, yeah. who, who people don't know, he tore his pec muscle earlier in the year. He's an awesome player, like you said. Right. Who said they were going seven and five? No one did. Kirby Smart did. <laughs> Kirby, Kirby Smart probably told them from the end of last season and into this season that it was them against the world, that people didn't believe in them, and that we lost this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, especially on defense, Right. And now you got to pick it up. People don't believe in us. And, like, kids get – I mean, uh, who was the uh, – was it Anderson last year? Wasn't it Anderson last year who said it basically, like, no one believed in Alabama? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Late yeah. in the season, I think you mentioned it. Or won the, they won the SEC uh, title game against Georgia. But he, Will Anderson actually said, like, no one believed in us. That's – that. like, I look at it – okay, why is a kid saying that? Because he's been coached to believe that, which is kind of amazing. Do you think that Kirby went to like a 24-7 sports Alabama Crimson Tide forum, like a message board, and found right. like one, one Alabama one. Crimson Tide fan who was like, they're going 7-5, and five. they stink, right? and then just took that one comment and like put it up in the locker room, and that's the one guy he's talking about, user 25734294. I want to do a whole examination today on like what it takes to be a winner and what it takes to believe you're going to win and what good coaches and good programs do, as opposed to other programs, and we'll we'll – Tie it to what's going on this week in college basketball in town, right? UNLV is going to take on Boise State. In spite of what the average running Rebel fan thinks of Boise State, it is the second or third best program in the conference over the last 10 years. It just is. And Leon Rice is incredibly unlikable. He has not been plucked from that program like so many other coaches would have been over the years. So they've got a stability. And just like San Diego State, Boise brings in generally the same type of team every year. And they're out to a good start this year, and they're actually, by the numbers, a better defensive team than San Diego State. They're rough. They're tough. They're mature. They've got an edge to them. Uh, Rice is kind of a crybaby, so he's got some crybabies on the team, including his own son. But the results are there. They win every year. I I, I joked with... Uh, they're one of their beat writers, so we'll we'll get on tomorrow. BJ Reigns, um, and I was saying, yeah, I think you know Boise, based on this roster, might go 500 in conference. Uh, we'll see. They're out to a really good start. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a chance to talk to Jordan McCabe today, veteran guard for the Rebels, and we'll get to Boise here eventually. But this whole this whole attitude of winning, you know, you saw last night. Georgia believed they were going to win. I think there was a little doubt with TCU, and as soon as things went wrong, it just the whole friggin' thing crumbled. Great programs and great teams have a belief that they're going to win. And one of the guys who has to have that belief and has to be mature the rest of the way for the Rebels is Keyshawn Gilbert, who got off to a really rough start against New Mexico. And uh, Jordan McCabe is playing you know, the, the role of point guard off the bench, you know, senior advisor, sort of coach. He talked about Gilbert and kind of you know, bouncing back and, and growing up. 
Uh, we, you know, we talked about it. Um, going into conference play, he started to take himself too seriously. And I said that's a really easy thing to slip into, especially as you begin to get success. You look at, you know, NBA players and, and guys at different levels, and you assume that they're completely no-nonsense and they're this, and you might have to change your approach a little bit. Um, but for him, he was finding success in the fact that he is the, you know, easygoing, goofy, charismatic kid, you know, that you see here in practice. And then when game time comes, it's easy to let that anxiety and tension start to turn you into somebody who's just taking it too seriously. And I told him that at the end of the day, it's a game. Find your breath, get back to doing what you're doing um, and make easy plays. And that's what he did. Uh, it was a lob to David. As soon as he did that, I'm like, he's, he'll be back. He's fine. You mentioned that calm. How would you kind of describe your role on this team? You know, what you're asked to do right now? I describe my role as do whatever coach needs me to do. And I know that's such a just boring answer, but it is. Um, and there's always going to be certain guys on teams that are going to have to do that. Um, my role is might be different every single night depending on who we play. Uh, and I'm fine with that. What's your recollection over the years facing Boise, their defense and their physicality? Another great team, another historic program. Um, they are a team that doesn't doesn't give you a lot to work with in terms of unforced errors, right? So they're going to get the ball on the rim, and you got to finish plays with a rebound um, and force them to take difficult shots. Now they're a very very good team. They're disciplined, um, and they know who they are. Sometimes if you get a team that doesn't really know who they are, you can exploit them and make them take dumb ones. You know, I doubt that's going to be the case. Uh, it's going to be a dogfight, just like every other game in this league is going to be. You mentioned you know winning and losing and the the ebb and flow of it. It seems like there are certain programs in this conference when they get to five minutes left, they, they think they're going to win. Right. And I think San Diego State's one of those teams. Is Boise one of those teams when you watch them? Uh, that's a good point. I've never really viewed it necessarily like that, but I see what you're saying. Um, I think it speaks to what we talked about earlier. It becomes a habit. So when you're, we've been here many times and we come out on top, just about every single one. San Diego State's definitely one of those teams. Um, and Boise, with their their you know track record is going to be the same, so um, we need to meet that and match that. Where are you guys 15 games in with a relatively you know new group in terms of cohesion with that attitude with five minutes left? No, I think we're in a great spot uh, with five minutes left. Uh, shoot, we've had two out of our three losses come down to a single shot, um, so we we know what it's like to be there. We know what it's like to be close, uh, and we also know what it feels like to close one out. So. That's what we plan to do for the rest Jordan of the way. Came. Player, sometimes coach. Speaks like a coach. I don't know that they're yeah, they're at that confidence at five minutes yet. Because I think Gilbert's a big part of it. And not turning the ball over is a big part of it. So that's a that's a lofty perch that San Diego State, especially San Diego State, is on. And I think Boise has been there. In close games, they think they're going to win. And that's it's massive. Well, I mean, we've kind of already seen collapse is always a pretty strong word. But, you know, we've seen the way that they lost the San Francisco game, San Jose State. You know, generally in those games, kind of to your point when you asked, you know, McCabe about that, when San Diego State's in those contests, I'm, I'm assuming. That, yeah. All right, they're going to win. They're going to get that offensive rebound off of a free throw. They're Rebels. going to get that loose ball. Sorry, Rebels had it. I think it was uh, seven points with eight minutes left. And you're like, all right, now it's go time. Who's going to make the stops? Who's going to take smart shots? Who's going to offensive rebound? Who's not going to turn the ball over? Mm -hmm. And and that's the important part, too, like with those programs that you're talking about with Boise State and San Diego State. It's not just hitting a three-point shot, right, or finishing a layup. It's the dirty stuff. 
Yeah. Like it's the little tiny things that they do so well. And that's when you start to get the confidence in, right? And that's where you start to build that continuity where you trust guys to do those little things that ultimately make the difference. And it's a culture and it's a coach. Two coaches in the case of San Diego State, one coach in the case of Boise, 20-year run for San Diego State, 10-year run for Boise, all different players. Mm-hmm. Right? But the teams basically play the same way, and when it counts the most, they react the same way, and they can most often count on the opposition to fall a little bit short. Today, after unnecessary roughness, it's the Kevin Kruger Radio Show at 5 p.m. on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Another great call by Dan Duva, uh, number three on the Cofield uh, Broadcaster of the Year uh, nominations. Um, I'll get into that. Adam Hill and Q are... uh, we're number one on the broadcaster side. Adam Hill winds up winning the uh, Nevada Writer of the Year. Uh, Millard, who I, I had way up there, um, not in the final five, but it's okay. It's okay. 2023 is all about establishing something here. And for the rest of the media to listen and go, God, that guy Millard is awesome. And then I have to listen to all two hours of VGK Insider Show. If they're not doing it already, this is gonna, I think this gives you the extra boost. And you win next year. Yeah, I'm going to ride Adam Hill's coattails. Into broadcaster of the year next year. <laughs> you should. The good vibes with good Adam vibes. are going to spill over to me next year. My campaign, and I think launching my campaign earlier this year, as opposed to what was it December like sixteenth last the vote, year. The votes were pretty much. Yeah, in. yeah. I think that's going to make a difference this time around. What if you're a Nevada broadcaster who may or may not have a foothold in the national landscape? I'd, are you speaking of yourself? Yes. I, mean, I think it, it's a may not, but that's fine. You want to? Does that happen? Because I have a foothold in the national landscape too. That's pretty niche. It's <laughs> pretty niche. It is. Uh, let's have a measuring contest let, here. Let, here we let's go. go. I'm on foot up. I'm on. Very I'm on, becoming. Very on becoming. I got my foot on it. Yeah. First time I've met him in person, and I'm already trying to undercut his campaign for that. <laughs> I voted for you as well, John. <laughs> oh, really? There we go. Just don't okay. have the power. To, you know, I can't, can't get everyone in there. Let's Wait, we, we need to get you some support in there. No, it's um, it's a it's a work ethic thing, and then it's a. Uh, a kind of a, are you nice? So I'm not nice. But mm. you said you're not nice. But I think I think outwardly you're nice to people. But I have a puss on my face all the time, so it's just it's off putting. You do have that. I know. I, but I, I, I appreciate RDF. that. Like you and I, I are you very said, you similar. Said that. You said you that. and I are very similar in that regard. I walked in here with a dour feeling today, and then you were then complaining about your, your your peppermint frosty, and I'm peppermint like, this frosty. is good. Yes. This is good. You need that energy. If that throws you off, I am all yeah. in. Plus, RTHE is way too positive. He's way too easygoing. Yeah. Ryan Hockey guy. So you got you to gotta bring it. You got to bring it. Oh, I can get under his skin. Oh, I know you can. I yeah. can tell. I can yeah. tell. I can see him tweeting. So yeah. we, watched, uh, <laughs> we watched Georgia and TCU last night. We were just talking about college basketball and, and, and college football and, and winning and having an attitude. And, and just certain programs and organizations have that attitude. Does VGK have that, hey, Five minutes left, we're going to win. Does the league think that? Like, who's the team in the league where, like, oh, God, close game. They're going to win. Tampa. Yep. I think it's, I think right now it's Tampa going to three straight finals, uh, winning the two of them, and and having that belief in them from goaltender to the blue line with Victor Hedman and up front uh, with the likes of Steven Stamkos, uh, Braden Point. That, that would be the team that I would say would walk in with swagger to it. There's some good players around the league, uh, but haven't been able to translate that into team success. And hockey is that one sport where having the best player means the least to a result. Hmm. Uh, so that that uh, that 
part about Tampa having a three-pronged attack uh, makes a big difference with their coach who has who has definite confidence. But that, so that's where I wanted to go because Cooper's been there for a really long time, yeah. right? Like, so when you're talking about comparing it to a team like the Vegas Golden Knights who have had success in their lifetime, but obviously head coach has been kind of not a revolving door, but there's been quite a few guys that have filled that role. So how do you build that when you're starting to switch out the guy who is one of the more important cogs in all of it? Yeah, I think uh, coaching with Vegas has always been constant confidence. Mm. When, when I looked at uh, at Turk at the start, uh, he just had that air about him. Uh, not cocky, but a friendly confident. Like he could, he could get intense. Uh, Pete certainly had uh, confidence with him, and you're seeing that uh, with the Dallas Stars. And and Butch, I, I think, may, may personify confidence uh, as much as all three of them with his ability and belief and uh, and uh, just uh, presence around the room and and has a, a tact with players to be able to be hard on them at times and, and uh, hold them accountable uh, at certain situations. Uh, I, I, th- I think they have that. Where, where Vegas, I think, is different than maybe the last couple of years would be we don't know what these goalies are yet. Like until you go through that, is it is it easy to say this team can win in the last five minutes in a winner take all game? That still has to be decided. Uh, quite honestly, I love their blue line. I think it's the best blue line, top to bottom in the National Hockey League, and they've got uh, a couple of lines that can, or right now three lines, but a couple of lines that can that can go with anybody. But that goaltending tends to be a pretty important part of the game, and that's a question that will be answered in the back half of the season. Is this the most confident you're in the team is in in the goaltender situation since year one? Do we count year two? The last couple of years before this were a little bit tumultuous. So where where do you, where do you feel with Thompson? Right well, I now? think like is it, is it is this about the best that it's been since year one? No, no, I I think this is still a work in progress. Okay. Uh, quite honestly, I mean this team has won Jennings trophies, Steve. This team has won a Vesna trophy. They have been at the top of the goaltending mountain, uh, but they were also with wily veterans and one guy had won Stanley Cups uh, and another guy uh, who'd been through uh, rigors on and off the ice and has pr- had proven his his strength. Uh, this this group, they've come a long way. I mean, for for Logan Thompson being an All Star is is borderline uh, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I did, did not see that coming at the start of the year to be the best goaltender out of the Pacific Division. Uh, he has overachieved. But if you're talking like winner-take-all confidence, must-win game, we, we're going to have to see that because we, he's a rookie. We, we haven't seen that in that case. He did the job down the stretch last year. I, I'll give him credit mm-hmm. there. Like must-win games, he did the job. They came up short in the shootout. This year, much more deeper lineup, uh, and let's see what happens with Hill and Thompson. I guess maybe I'm overrating this year because the drama is gone. I just yeah. got so tired of the freaking drama. I know. I did I did too. And that's why I believe this year they played games with nine players injured. Mm-hmm. That was more than any game <laughs> last year. But it feels much less dramatic this year, much less impactful this year. They've been through an injury plague stretch, but it doesn't have that dire feeling to it because of the lack of drama. How much How much of that do you think is on the guys in the locker room themselves, like kind uh, of policing all of that? Uh, I, I, I think big. I think Mark Stone being healthy and being in the room and being able to, to handle it on a day-to-day basis means a ton within a team. Last year he was hurt. He wasn't around. 
in game, after game, on the plane, doing all that. He wasn't there to, to manage it. Uh, I think that uh, that takes on uh, a life of its own when somebody like your captain is not there. Uh, so I think that has a, a major player uh, in it as well. Like the other night, uh, Mark Stone speaking after that LA game was incredible after in just calming answering some uh, some questions that were direct, uh, but not being any type of reactionary or confrontational or pushback. It was a really incredibly solid uh, post-game press conference uh, by the captain, and that's what a leader can do. So I can't imagine what he was doing with the guys in the room as yeah. well. Darren Millard, AT&T Sportsnet, part of VGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Radio. Let, let's close on this because it's another one of our big topics today, and I think we can roll in kind of an overall sports topic into what VGK is doing. Reportedly, Mark Davis is not happy about all the opposing fans being in his stadium. There's a lot of issues we can discuss with that. I actually think it's gotten better over the years with the Golden Knights. There were some you know, mar- some uh, markets that invaded yeah. the fortress. And still do at times. What have they done to make it better? Have they done anything intentionally? Is it just more you know fervor from fans locally? I think that's it. I think more local fans buy the tickets and want to go to the game. I won't give them up. Right. And and they attend, so they're uh, they're on the ground. Now, the other night, L.A., they had a large presence there. Uh, when L.A. scored, there's a big roar. Chicago's always won. Uh, the the Calgary-Edmonton games are always uh, a feature because those people come down to escape winter and, and do a little bit of a tour. Uh, I don't think you'll ever escape it totally, and there's times when teams are going to need that. Quite honestly, yeah. uh, but uh, but I, I think it's a uh, it's a blessed curse. Can we can we call it that? Yeah. Where they're still buying tickets, you're still getting right. revenue. It's not the ultimate home field advantage or home ice advantage, but it's up to your crowd well, to answer that inside the rink. And VGK fans did that. We're in Vegas. It's the yeah. ultimate destination. And here's the problem with the Raiders: you can't have it both ways. No, you, you can't. can't. You can't charge seventy five thousand dollars a seat at the top level. For PSLs, mm-hmm. down to thirty-five thousand a seat, down to fifteen thousand a seat. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a certain person who buys that, and they're going to want to get some of their money back. That's what the price is. Yes, seventy-five thousand really? dollars was the top PSL price. Thirty-five thousand was next. Fifteen on down, and then, you know, for even you know, say an average person, it was still going to be like five, six, seven thousand dollars per seat. Now, is it true people sell their tickets for a couple of games? And make their money back for the yep. rest of the season. Yes. Yeah. See, yep. see that, there. How do you right stop there. that? That, You're, that the season's over. The Niners are in town on New Year's Day. Most of Northern California wants to come down, and they're willing to pay five, seven hundred, a thousand dollars a ticket. What are you supposed to do? If it's so expensive that if I sell you a couple of games and you a couple of games, and I can go to all my other games for free yep. and make my money back. Well, that's going to happen. You're going to have visiting people in, in the not. building. But you were never going to, if you're selling PSLs for that much money, you were never going to have Raider Nation, F that, no. I'm never selling my ticket. You're no. going to get a wine and cheese group. Nothing against you 35K and 75K yeah. people out there. But you're not going to be as hardcore as, you know, that super, super Raiders fan. And I love my wine. Yeah, I'm great not, on cheese. Not, I love um, cheese, too. I'm not great on cheese, but yeah. I love my wine, man. You need a beer and cheese crowd. Kind I, of like I love the my wine. Beer and cheese curds. Yeah, beer and cheese cards. What do you got coming up on the show? Uh, we are going to discuss some rankings because we just passed the halfway point. Forward, defense, goaltending, coaches. We're gonna we're gonna hand out some grades. The grades. A lot of arguing on that show, especially if uh, Magnum chimes in. A lot of arguing. Well, very he, testy he show. Confused him. And one other thing: upper body, lower body injuries. 
if a dog has an injury? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> That's a great topic. What's, what's the upper body, what's lower body on a dog? 